The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care, with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Merrill Griff. Hi, and welcome to Caught Between Generations. As always, thank you so much for joining us today. I know how busy and overwhelmed and sometimes how stressed you are. So I really appreciate your taking time out of your day to spend some time with us. So I have a question for you. I mean, do you feel like you're never, ever quite at peace with yourself? So whether you're with other people, even if you're with family or friends, even when you're by yourself, that you just never, ever feel settled or you never feel calm. On today's show, we're actually going to be examining two possible causes uh, for these feelings that you get of just this vague unrest. Sometimes it's just real anxiety, but sometimes it's just, I don't know, there's just something wrong. I just don't feel right. We're going to begin by examining the possibility and looking at if your parents were actually emotionally immature. And what does that term? mean and how does this impact you and then in the second half of the show we're going to be discussing ways to identify our limiting beliefs and how to push through them so that we can have a better relationship with ourselves so we begin our journey towards feeling whole again with Dr. Lindsay Gibson. Dr. Gibson is a clinical psychologist who has been in private practice for over 30 years. She specializes in working with people whose depression, anxiety, and relationship problems have their roots in their relationship with parents who are emotionally immature. Her book is Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, How to Heal from Distant, Rejecting, or Self-Involved Parents, and as I just told Dr. Gibson before we got on the air. Um, as a therapist, I found this an extremely interesting work and I think very innovative and she has a lot of things to share with us that I think you may not have heard before. So welcome to Quote Between Generations, Dr. Gibson. Thank you for joining us. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Dr. Gibson, that you use the term emotionally immature. What does that really mean when, when we're talking about parenting behaviors? Well, it, it's, a, um, it's a very specific term that really means something. Um, it's not just a um, conglomeration of symptoms that adds up to a disorder, like, you know, narcissist or uh, something like that. 
it really describes where on the developmental scale a person is functioning. And this is not a matter of opinion. Uh, this is something that has been researched a lot. And children really do go through periods of development where they are capable of different things as they get older. So the way that I got into the, the whole interest in emotionally immature parents was that I was listening to a client one day and she was telling me about her parents and what was going on with them and how she was feeling and there was a lot of self-blame going on because she was so furious with them. And I was listening to her and I thought, oh my God, they sound like (laughs) five-year-olds. So um, I listened more carefully and sure enough, it's like going down a checklist of emotionally immature reactions and coping mechanisms. So there is, um, I think, a, uh, a tragedy occurring when there are adult children out there taking care of parents who feel like the parent is the more mature one, um, is the more adult one, and they somehow are these inadequate children trying to, um, you know, please them or take care of them or whatever. But it's amazing to me how many times the child ends up being more mature than the parent psychologically, and even at a very young age. People can remember back being able to... um, uh, think about their parents' behavior and knowing as a child that that the parent was immature. But so, anyway, so um, Dr. Gibson, <laughs> what what does that look like? I mean, what what do you see? What's the impact um, on the children? I mean, what kind of symptoms? Wh- what are you seeing in children of of that have been raised by emotionally immature parents? Oh yeah, that's a great question. Well, for one thing, they, they tend to have a lot of anxiety and self-doubt because one of the ways that emotionally immature people cope with bad feelings or unpleasantness is they project the blame onto other people. They're, emotionally immature people are not very self-reflective, so if something is not going well or if there's a problem, they tend to blame the situation or blame other people. Uh, they get angry quickly. Uh, they may withdraw quickly. But what they don't do is they don't go toward the problem in a problem-solving way, um, and they don't take other people's feelings into account. Because when you stress an emotionally immature person, they get very rigid, uh, very black and white, very blaming, and they really don't look at their part of the problem. So if you have a parent like that who kind of comes out swinging when there's a problem, it it makes sense that you would feel depression, anxiety, insecurity, a lot of self-doubt, and also you might slip into a, a kind of a caretaking or codependent role with that parent from a very early age, I mean, way before it would be appropriate. Um, this is something that starts very early in life and then can come out to bedevil you later when you have uh, an elderly parent that needs more care from you. So, all right, I'm an adult, and I'm beginning to understand as I'm listening to you that 
um, my parents may have been emotionally immature. But let me get back to something that you said. I mean, at this point of their lives, my parents are not going to change. I mean, nothing right. is going to change. So how would becoming aware of this make, make a difference for me? I mean, what am I going to do with this information now that I have it? Right. That's, that is the question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what the information does for us is it gives us another way of understanding their behavior. Um, it's amazing how much help it is just to have an understanding of what's really going on. And if you are looking at your parents as um, uh, sort of like the gods of childhood, the, the people that hold your self-esteem uh, hostage, that kind of uh, making them seem more powerful than they are, then you're really going to have uh, a lot of trouble um, maintaining your own self-confidence and your own self-esteem when you're dealing with them. So one of the things that is so important is, you know, the information about what is emotional immaturity so that you can step back from it instead of reacting to it. One of the things that emotionally mature people do is they draw people in to take care of their feelings for them. So instead of them coping with their emotions, them asking themselves, am I being realistic? Am I asking too much? Does she have a point? Instead of that, they just expect you to help them feel better. So uh, one of the things that you can do for yourself is to go into a more dispassionate observing mode where you step back and you look at what they're doing so that you're not taking it personally and also so that you're not getting caught up in a dynamic where somehow you're feeling responsible for their happiness. That goes back to referencing that vague unrest or unsettled feeling that you mentioned uh, at the top of the hour. It's sort of like I'm never really free of having to be hyper-vigilant about how they're feeling. And that is exhausting. So that when you is know exhausting. Yeah, yeah. So when you know kind of what's going on and, and that you're being sort of pulled into something by, uh, you know, in a way, childlike people, it does help you step back and stay in your adult mind so that you can think straight. Because when you're dealing with emotionally immature parents or anyone else, you will find yourself becoming emotionally uh, upset or emotionally intense yourself, and then you will really feel like you're stuck because you can't think. So that, that calm stepping back and assessing the situation is extremely important. Does gender make a difference? Is there a difference on the impact on sons versus daughters of emotionally immature parents? I, I think they each have uh, their own tragedy, really, um, on the basis of how our culture expects things of men and women. Uh, I don't know who has it worse. I mean, traditionally, we would say, oh, well, the the woman has it worse because she's in the caretaker role and everybody expects her to, um, to step in and, and take care of things. But on the other hand, uh, males also have a lot of role expectation in terms of uh, taking care of things, being the strong one, 
um, not having emotional needs of their own. You know, if, if an exhausted woman breaks down because she's had too much put on her, nobody bats an eye. If an exhausted man breaks down, then that becomes sort of a shame experience for him in our culture. So it's hard to tell. I, th- I think it's hard for, for either gender child of emotionally immature parents. We only have um, just a minute or two, but let me just play devil's advocate for a minute. So some people would say, well, you just sort of take responsibility for fixing your own problems. I mean, you know, you're old already. Forget this blaming your parents stuff. I mean, how would you respond to that? Oh, I love that. I love that that objection because um, it's not about blaming your parents. It's not about you becoming infantile and sitting back and saying, oh, I wouldn't have any of these problems if they hadn't been so mean to me. It's not at all about blaming. It's about understanding what's happening. You know, if we were in a, um, um, you know, a very extreme situation, we would want to know what we're dealing with, no matter what it is. Like, uh, why is this happening? How is this happening? How am I contributing to it? We would not want to just blame the situation. We'd want to understand it, understand our part in it, so that we could respond differently. So we're not, not uh, you know, reading books like this to blame the parents. Actually, if anything, my clients don't want to blame their parents. Um, they, they take too much responsibility for the problem and don't see what the parents are doing. That's one of the reasons uh, I wrote this book was, because I wanted people to know that in many ways it's not them, and in other ways it's, it's their parents, but the parents are only responding to the um, traumas and difficulties that they've been through that have resulted in their ending up emotionally immature. We've been talking to Dr. Lindsay Gibson, who's the author of Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, Dr. Gibson talks about three specific ways um, to relate um, to emotionally immature parents without getting upset and having trying to have things more positive. And I also want to talk to her about a conversation we had offline about how having emotionally immature parents impacts you as a caregiver if you have to take care of those parents later in their life? It's really an interesting answer, so stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain in 
involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. To Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. And we are here with Dr. Lindsay Gibson, who is the author of Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. So before the break, um, Dr. Gibson was talking about how this this is an important work, not to blame your parents, but to really understand what the dynamics were and what the situation is. So the problem is, of course, the challenge is once you understand it, you know, then how do you handle it? And I think Dr. Gibson had um, a very, very interesting section in her book on ways to relate uh, without getting upset. So, Dr. Gibson, one of the ways you talk about is to, and I thought this was really good, was to focus on the outcome, not on the relationship. Can you can you talk to us about that a little bit more? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I call this approach um, that people can use the maturity awareness approach. It means that you come into any interaction with anybody, but especially with your emotionally immature parent, uh, with an awareness of the level of maturity or wholeness that you're dealing with in the person. So, uh, that is, you don't wander in blind and expect them to uh, necessarily behave like adults uh, or treat you fairly um, because that might not be the case. Uh, so I had three steps for that. Uh, one was to express what you need to express to your parent and then let it go. In other words, you are not able or responsible for how your parent may react. Um, But you may have some things that for the health of your relationship with them, you need to let them know about your feelings. So that would be the expressing part without any expectation that it's going to change anything, but it's still good for you to be able to express what you feel. It's it's not one-sided. It's not all about the parent. And then the part that... um, Let me interrupt you for a minute because I want to ask you a question because I think what happens is in reality is that, okay, so I'm expressing to my parent how I feel. The next thing they're going to do is they're going to attack me. I mean, that's usually Mm -hmm. what happens in these kinds of situations. Mm -hmm. They're either sobbing and playing the victim or they're attacking. It's one or the other usually. So what do I do? I mean, how do I let go? I mean, do I plan for these conversations ahead of time and I plan to walk out? I mean, how do I actually let go? How do I do it? Well, first of all, notice the first word I used, which was expressing. 
and it's expressing, it's not attacking or blaming. So expressing would be something like, um, Mom, when you uh, ask me to call every night after work and I'm so tired, I just find that I don't have the energy to talk with you in the way that you want. And I'm wondering if we can figure out some other schedule so that I'm not so exhausted and I might be more available to you. Now, that's, that's expressing a specific thing that you want, which is I always recommend that. It's not expressing, Mom, here's how you've ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that kind of um, emotional unloading will lead to attack and tears and so forth. But with these parents, well, it's well, always best. I'm sorry? No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no I, I was just going to say I, that um, when you're dealing with emotionally immature people, it always works better if you have an outcome that you want from the interaction. And that's what you're there to accomplish. It's it's not to get into the history. It's not to get sidetracked by um, something that they, you know, might want to say to to divert you. It's about having the outcome uh, that you went into the interaction wanting. So when you focus on the outcome and not the relationship. Things go much better. People are much less defensive and much less um, apt to attack you if you're just trying to clarify and get something uh, settled that that is the outcome that you want. And to that end, you are approaching your parent with kind of a management outlook. You're not trying to engage them in a relationship moment. You're just trying to get toward this outcome that you want with them. So that's very important because a lot of people, they want to reach their parent emotionally or they want to, um, you know, engage their parent, finally get attention from their parent. And these relationship goals are much more likely to send the parent away from you rather than drawing them near because one of the, the strange things about emotionally immature parents is that they're very phobic about emotional intimacy and feelings. Um, they're often uh, you know, quite inhibited and very suspicious of, of uh, emotions. So lots of times by taking a management approach and focusing on the outcome um, and letting go of uh, anything else but your outcome that you're working toward, it actually goes better for them. So let's talk about caregiving because you and I had a conversation offline and I, I want to give that specific example. So um, I, I was talking to someone this morning about um, a client of theirs where um, the, the they're working with the adult daughter and the adult daughter is taking care of these two parents and she's very angry um, and she's very upset and she's extremely stressed um, and her description of the two parents both the, the therapist who's handling the case and the daughter's description I mean I, I had just gotten done reading your book I was like amazed I'm like yeah that's exactly what Dr. Gibson is describing um, these emotionally immature parents 
But this daughter feels as though she's stuck, her words, taking care of these two parents um, who she really has not had a good relationship with. I mean, what are your suggestions for handling that kind of situation? Well, uh, the first thing that I would call attention to in a situation like that is that emotionally immature people, you know, whether they're, you know, really five years old or whether they are elderly and acting like they're five years old, is that emotionally immature people have a hard time regulating their emotional stability. So they need, they think, they need you to be a certain way, feel a certain way, act a certain way in order for them to be okay. This is why one of the hallmarks of emotional immaturity is um, that they get upset easily, they get angry easily, uh, they pout, they withdraw, but there's an emotional response to uh, when you behave toward them in a way that they don't prefer. So if you are, are going to do something for them, they want you to do it the way that they want you to do it because that's how they think that they will feel loved. But your responsibility to yourself in terms of caretaking your own self is that you have to decide what the limits of your obligation are to your parent. You may feel that you want to be a caretaker or you want to be available to them, but you do get to decide how you're going to meet whatever obligation you feel. Um, You do not have to turn yourself into the type of caretaker that that uh, emotionally immature parent thinks you should be. You are not trapped in the role of trying to please them according to what they want you only have to meet the obligation that you want to put on yourself. So one of the things that's so exhausting about uh, people like this is that you always feel like you're never doing enough for them and you're never doing it well enough. Well, that's because they're very childlike in their insistence that you meet their needs in a certain way. And I think all caretakers need to break free of that uh, coercion really, that they have to not only meet the need, but they have to meet it themselves only. They can't get help. They can't pull in another resource. And they have to do it in a certain way that makes that parent feel loved and cared for. And I don't think we have that particular obligation because it's an impossible goal to make somebody happy all the time. So we do need to uh, look at how we can meet whatever needs we feel like we can meet. And sometimes some of these parents are so difficult, you simply cannot keep your mental health and be the sole caretaker. So we have to remember that. (laughs) Sometimes this this gets down to a, a survival issue. And when we have to do things that bring in other resources or we can't do it all, we really have to be able to accept that and not take the parent's emotional reaction to heart. It's This is where I'm getting back to that thing about outcome. You're trying to have your your parent be taken care of or have adequate care, but it's not up to us to have it in such a way that that parent feels completely happy and satisfied because lots of times that can't happen. 
Uh, I think that's very, very wise uh, words that I, I really think will help a lot of people. We've been talking to Dr. Lindsay Gibson, author of Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. Dr. Gibson, tell us more about yourself, how to contact you, your website. Yeah, um, my website is drlindsaygibson.com, and it's uh, Lindsay with an A-Y, so anyone who would like to um, go to my website, and I have uh, things for people to read there, and also descriptions of my books, uh, that would be a good place to start. Um, also on Amazon, if you look up Lindsay Gibson, it will take you to my books, and um, I you know, uh, hope that whatever people find there it will be helpful to them. This is really a mission of mine, and my heart goes out to every single person who is dealing with a parent like this. And my number one message is you have to be able to take care of yourself first uh, before you can help anyone else. Dr. Lindsay Gibson, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Dr. Griffith, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Stay with us. Actually, it's interesting Dr. Gibson talked about taking care of yourself first because our next guest will be Lauren Mackler, author of Soulmate. It's not S-O-U-L, it's S-O-L-E, Soulmate, Mastering the Art of Aloneness and Transforming Your Life. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where's your dad? What's he doing? You'd know if he was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know he's enjoying a full day of cooking, computers, yoga, golfing, and he's home by dinner. You'd know Sarah Care LPN and RN Nursing Care is with him to ensure he gets the right medications at the right dosages. You'd know. How's your dad? He's just fine. At Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. And I'm now here with Lauren Mackler, who is the author of Soulmate, and that's S-O-L-E-M-A-T-E, not Soulmate like S-O-U-L, Master the Art of Aloneness and Transform Your Life. Lauren Mackler, 
is a world-renowned coach and creator of the Illumineering Coaching Method. Lauren was actually named one of the top 10 coaches in America uh, by Vitals Magazine. And she's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Marie Claire, and believe me, the list just goes on and on of the national shows she's been on and the national publication she's been featured in. So we feel really grateful that you have agreed to spend some time with us today. Thank you for joining us, Lauren. I'm grateful to be here. Thanks for having me on. So, Lauren, in Soulmate, you discuss the importance of, of mastering the art of aloneness. I mean, what do, you, what do you mean, actually, by that phrase, the art of aloneness? Well, it's really not so much about being alone. We, we could even have subtitled it Mastering the Art of Wholeness, because that's really what it's about. It's about relationship with ourselves and how we are never really taught how to have a sound, healthy, strong um, fulfilling relationship with ourselves. There's a lot of theory about it, you know, loving yourself and all that, but how do you really put that into action? So I came up with a sort of roadmap through my own experience after my divorce of mastering the art of aloneness, learning how to have that kind of quality relationship with myself. And that's really what it's about. It's kind of a roadmap for how do you do that? How do you um, build and sustain a healthy, uh, joyful and um, productive and self-respecting relationship with yourself. Actually, I, I mean, I really admire you because I've, I've now read your background and, and you did not have an easy uh, time um, in your childhood and, and in what looked like your early adulthood. Um, and yet you've come out of it and rebounded um, to write and, and to do some absolutely fantastic work. So, you know, I'll, Kind of shout out to you and congratulations, and you're really someone that we should admire, um, especially when times are tough, because you've done a fabulous job of well, getting around things. Now. Um, you know, I, I was a 14-year-old runaway, and uh, that's good news and bad news. The good news is that's probably why I was able to do okay in life, because I did get out of a system that was not a very healthy one, um, and... On the other hand, it was not, you know, it was unfortunate that I was out in the world at, at such a young age because that certainly uh, had, had, you know, disadvantages as well, of course. Um, but I think that going through that kind of experience myself, I think a lot of times some of the most powerful way showers are people that have gone through their own adversity and, and they really learned kind of the hard way. And I guess I was one of those people I put in that category as having to learn things the hard way. But I appreciate the kind words and I, I am a psychotherapist and a coach and um, I am very humanistic, humanistically oriented and I like to help and be of service. So I think Oftentimes, our backgrounds prepare us for what we are to do in life, and I think that that's true about my background as well. But, Lauren, what do you think are the uh, factors? I mean, there are certainly lots of self-help books out there, um, whether you're online or you know, you're in a you're in a bookstore. That, I mean, the shelves are just filled um, with all of these books, and people are just constantly buying them. You know, looking for answers, but they they just don't seem to be able to move forward. Why Why do you think that is? Well, 
You know, I think now a lot of people, um, and you, I'm sure in your work you've seen the same thing, because you have a similar, you know, therapeutic background as I do, that people can spend years in therapy, and I'm sure many of your listeners are going to be shaking their heads as I, as I hear as, as they hear that, and yet they, they may know all the ins and outs of their issues, they may be able to tell you where they come from and all of this stuff, but there they are. They're still stuck with these barriers. They're still replicating the same uh, unfulfilling patterns and experiences over and over again, and they don't really know what to do differently. And I put together um, this process called, which I've named Illumineering because it combines psychotherapy with action-oriented coaching. And I found that one without the other is less effective. And so the psychotherapeutic piece of it is understanding where you come from, the family system that you grew up in, the kind of conditioning that you internalize that is still perhaps dictating your life today or certainly influencing your life today. And that comes from the sort of illuminating part, right, the awakening part, the, the psycho- psychology piece of it, uh, looking at the patterns that are embedded in the subconscious that we may not even be aware of, but there's still, you know, those patterns are still very much activated and alive in our lives. And then the earring part comes from engineering your life, which is action-oriented coaching. That is new behaviors, new action steps to produce new results. And you do that long enough consistently over time, and then you start to habituate a new pattern of being, of thinking and behaving, and then that's how the transformation process happens. But I think that that's the missing link. For years, um, I, I did therapy. I, I was the affirmation queen. <laughs> you know, I had affirmations all over my environment. But nothing was changing because it took me about 20 years to figure out, wait a minute, I have to actually do something differently to create a new experience and do that consistently over time to habituate a new way of thinking and behaving and, of course, the new results. So let's take uh, an example of that because I really like the uh, examples of the action plans um, that you have in your book. So, for instance, you know, one of the action plans is to become more social. Um, And an an example would be I'm going to meet three new people by, you know, June, June 15th. All right. So can you explain a little bit more about what an action plan is and why it's important to put it together and then, you know, how you choose it and how you really put it into action? Well, that's that's the key, right? That is the action. But um, let me, if you don't mind, let me just preface this with um, helping people understand kind of how the book is structured and the process. It's each chapter ends with an exercise. You're actually going through a step-by-step roadmap of this Mastering the Art of Aloneness roadmap. And this is for people that are in relationship or alone. It's for everybody. And actually, I've had a lot of couples go through this process together, which is fun. Um, and so part of it, as you get towards the latter half of the book, the first half is about uncovering your conditioned self, understanding the past and how it's impacting you today. And then the second half is what I call reclaiming your innate wholeness, right? And liberating your authentic self. So one is about who you learn to be, and the second part of it is about reclaiming who you were born to be. And the action planning, which is getting towards the end of the book, is you, I have the readers create a vision statement that is very much specific to the part of their innate wholeness that were diminished or lost in their life conditioning 
and then an action plan for bringing those parts back into the fold, developing those parts so they can come back into a place of wholeness, and breaking the, um, the vision down into actual goals, and then taking the goals and breaking those down into action steps that you incorporate in your weekly you know, calendar and daily life. Because unless you break them down into action steps and, and like you said, time-bound ones, they're specific, they're measurable, they're time-bound, very often we sit there and procrastinate and think about doing something that we don't really take action. So that's the purpose of the action plan is to bring the vision to fruition and have an actual roadmap and a concrete plan for how they're going to do that. Okay, we're talking to Dr. Lauren Mackler, who is the author of Soulmate. Um, when we come back, I want to ask Lauren about uh, her work on fear, because, you know, after you do this action plan, I think one of the things that really holds you back um, from putting it into action is fear. So we're going to talk to her um, about that, and we're going to talk to her about some of her work in her book about living deliberately versus, for instance, living by default. So stay with with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I am Dr. Merrill, and I'm here with Lauren Mackler, who is the author of Soulmate, S-O-L-E, Mate, Master the Art of Aloneness and Transform Your Life. And before the break, we were talking about uh, the importance of creating action plans for yourself, that just understanding therapeutically or understanding the dynamics or your emotions of what's going on is only the first step. But the second step is to try to make some changes in your life by creating action plans. And and one of the things I had said at the very end, one of the questions I was posing to Lauren is, Lauren, do you think that one of the main reasons why people don't, in effect, start working on their action plans is because of fear? 
And and if it is, how do you re- how do you handle that? Well, I devoted a whole chapter to fear in Soulmate because I have found it is something that holds so many people back. And the sad thing is that most of the fears that hold people back from moving forward or moving into new experiences or moving out of their comfort zone and expanding themselves in their lives, uh, it's based on fears that aren't really even part of their current reality. They're based on fears of things that happened a long time ago that are those memories are stored in the uh, subconscious and they, when they think about doing something new, um, those fears get activated or those associations from the past uh, get, uh, get activated and people feel afraid and they don't even necessarily know why. They just feel the sense of trepidation or dread or they just sort of move away. The other thing that drives fear is uh, the limiting beliefs that we develop and internalize about ourselves very, you know, very long time ago, usually around the age of, by the age of seven. And they might be things like, I'm not good enough, or I'm unworthy, or I'm, I'm deserving. And these aren't conscious thoughts that we're necessarily walking around thinking, but these are sort of conclusions that we draw about ourselves based on early experiences that sort of still live in the subconscious. And when we start thinking about doing something that's in violation of that core belief, like if you think about starting your own business and that part of you is just a part that's still there that believes that you're undeserving or you're not good enough, when you think about doing that, it's going to then invoke a feeling of fear because that part doesn't believe you can do it. And it's, it's fascinating how these things are at play and very often people are not even conscious of what's going on and, you know, the dynamic. So uh, I can walk you through the five-step process if you want. Should I do that, Meryl? Sure, sure. Of how absolutely. To manage fear? Yeah. So, yeah, so the absolutely. model that I have is the first step is to name the fear, right? Usually we want to just sort of move away from it or avoid it or, uh, you know, distract from it. But no, move toward it, identify the fear. And it might be, I'm afraid I'm going to fail or I'm afraid I'm going to get rejected or I'm afraid they're not going to like me, whatever it is. And then step two is identify the gloom and doom movie or the story that you're telling yourself. So you might be imagining yourself at this party and you're trying to talk to strangers and you don't know what to say and you're playing the movie that they're going to judge you and they're going to be talking behind your back and you're going to feel really awkward or whatever it is. Or maybe these are, maybe it's internal talk, like they're not going to like me, I'm going to sound stupid. Uh, but you're, you're telling yourself a story or playing a movie in your head. You want to catch that and be very clear what that is. So step three is do a reality check and say, okay, have I ever gone to a party where I have not known people? Yes. Have I been able to make small talk and make connections? Yes. Okay. So you're going from the past, what I call a trance state of fear, coming back into the here and now, and you do that to your reality check asking those questions about the here and now. And then step four is replace the limiting or gloom and doom movie or the gloom and doom story that you're telling yourself with what you want to have happen. So you're redirecting the mind, which is going to then produce a different emotional response. And then step five is identifying what limiting belief sets this whole thing in motion. Of course, you have to have done that investigative work, which I have uh, the readers do in Chapter 3. At the end of Chapter 3, there's a series of quizzes to understand 
your family system and the inter- you know the limiting beliefs that you internalized growing up that may be at play today. That's the five-step process for managing fear. Okay, so just very quickly, just review the five steps. So the first one is I'm going to identify the fear. I love the yep. second. I love the movie. What is what is the second step? Uh, so the second step is, uh, first step is uh, name the fear. Mm-hmm. You know, identify the fear. Step two is identify the gloom and doom movie or the gloom and doom story that you're telling yourself. You're either playing it in your head, a movie, visualization, you know, seeing something, or you're literally saying something to yourself. Um, that is then producing the emotional response called fear. Step three is do your reality check. Measure your what story you're telling yourself in the movie you're playing against the here and now reality because the here and now reality is usually very different than what you're imagining, which is usually the worst case scenario. Step four is replace the gloom and do a movie or story with what you want to have happen. Redirect the mind onto something positive, which will then create a different emotional response. And then step five is identify what limiting belief do you carry inside of you that may have uh, triggered the whole this whole fear dynamic to begin with, like I'm not good enough or people don't like me or I'm stupid or whatever that might be. Thank you. That was, I think that was very, very helpful. So I want to ask you about... Um, caregiving, because most of our listeners are caregivers, whether they're for multiple generations, children, grandchildren, emerging adults, you know, spouses, parents. Many of my listeners write to me about how they're taking care of multiple people. And so one of the things we always talk about on the show is the importance of taking care of yourself. Um, And you have a section in your book about building an inner support system, about, you know, finding a way to develop your inner nurturing parent. Can you can you share some tips for us on on how oh, to do yeah. that? Yeah, and and this is so good for your audience and, and for the people that you're helping, Meryl, because um, you know, well, as you know, and I was hearing listening to the show before, and and the burnout that people experience. I mean, it's just it's very very hard uh, caregiving, and uh, so people think oftentimes selfish to take care of themselves, but um, an old teacher of mine used to say, take care of yourself so you can take care of others, and that's really true. If you're trying to take care of others from an empty tank, you're not going to be of much use for them in the long run because you're, you know, you're, you're going to burn out. So this inner nurturing parent uh, concept that I came up with one day for myself which was many of us did not have that unconditionally loving and nurturing parent because nobody was parenting our parents in that way. So things get passed on from generation to generation. Um, And so very often we don't know how to take care of ourselves. We don't know how to uh, nurture ourselves. We know how to beat up on ourselves, you know, really well um, and negate ourselves and wear ourselves down. But we're not all that skilled in self-care. So the inner nurturing parent is simply um, developing a part of you. So there's like two parts. There's the part that is nurturing you, that is treating you like a loving, nurturing parent would. That means making sure you get enough sleep. That means uh, feeding healthy food to you, nutritionally sound food. That means surrounding yourself with people that uplift you and support you and don't 
deplete you, you know, and, and, and are tearing you down. Um, that means uh, being self-respecting and setting healthy boundaries with people. And so that's the part that is treating you that way. And then there's the, the part that's receiving that treatment, which is uh, the vulnerable part of us, the part that is uh, just on the receiving end of it. And our relationship with ourselves really is the primary one because it's the only one that's 24-7 from the very beginning to the very end. And you can't divorce yourself. You can't leave yourself. You can't, you know, abandon yourself. You're just, I mean, you can sort of conceptually, but not literally. So it is really important to take care of yourself and you're actually doing a service to others by having a full tank because you're going to be able to give in a much better way and from a full way um, than from a depleted, empty uh, tank, which then breeds not only burnout but resentment and, you know, all those other things. So it's simply treating yourself the way a loving parent would. The the other issue we often see with caregivers is they really... Either they had or they never had an external and, and outward support system. Um, and so they become very, very isolated. And that's another issue that I, th- I thought you addressed uh, very well in your book. Um, can you talk to us a little about what you call the outer support system? Sure. So the first one that we were just talking about, that's how you build the inner support system, right? So all the ener- it's the energy and it's the sleep and it's the food and it's the boundaries and self-care and all this stuff. The outer system... Um, our support system are the people that are around you, the resources that you might need, uh, the friends, the family, um, and key word here being healthy family relationships, right? Not just family, because some family relationships actually uh, are not very nurturing or very helpful or very supportive. So it's building that outer support system. You talked at the, at the top of the interview about um, social the social life, and that's a very important thing. We're not designed to live in isolation. We're really designed to live in tribes and, you know, and be part of a, a group. <clears throat> and yet many of us are very isolated, especially when people are, are, are in a caregiver role. Um, it's very isolating, and you need that support. You need people that are going to um, offer you some relief, that are going to offer you some you know, supportive, uplifting words, and you might need professional resources. Maybe a therapist is helpful or a support group or, or a nutritionist or whatever you need to help, uh, to help build that inner support system is very important. Lauren, it's, it's been a very, very helpful and interesting conversation. We've been talking to Lauren Mackler, who's the author of Soulmate, once again, S-O-L-E, Mate, Master the Art of Aloneness and Transform Your Life. Lauren, do you have any uh, last thoughts for us? And then uh, please tell us how to contact you, your website, blog. Um, please give us that information. Sure. Well, my website is my name, Lauren Mackler. Dot com. That's L-A-U-R-E-N-M-A-C-K-L-E-R.com. And I can be contacted through the website. Um, I, I'm just so appreciative that you had me on. And I also want to give you kudos for the work that you're doing because it is, it is something that I think is very ignored and not talked about nearly enough, um, supporting caregivers and, and understanding the challenges that people go through. 
Um, so I think that your radio show and your, your service that you do is really important, and I'm glad that I have the opportunity to hopefully share perhaps some tips that might be helping some of the people in your audience to better care for themselves as well. So yeah, thank you. Thank- appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, Lauren. Once again, it's Lauren Mackler, M-A-C-K-L-E-R. Thank you. So this is Dr. Barrow reminding you, as I always do, um, and as we've talked about on the show today, throughout the show, that really the most important thing you have to do is you really have to take very, very good care of yourself. Like Lauren, I had not the same background and experiences she had, but my experience as a caregiver for my mother uh, really brought home to me, you know, the kind of stress and difficulties that caregivers live through uh, really on a daily basis. And I love my mother. I was pleased that I was able to take care of her after her stroke. But there were many days when it was very hard and you really, really need to take care of yourself. So I want you to do that. Do just one thing for yourself this week. Just one thing, even if it's to take a walk outside for five or 10 minutes, you've got to do it. You're very, very important to a lot of people. So take really good care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.